trying to support myself as a painter by teaching in a technical school for girls. I was teaching art. Um, the school was in Lime Grove, more or less across the road from the old BBC television studios. Television, everybody was very curious about it. Very few people had seen it. Um, some of my pupils had seen it at a neighbor's down the road, and they would talk about it in the morning. And everybody was amazed that there should be this extraordinary invention. And so when I met a woman at a friend's house who told me that she was actually working at these television studios as a secretary, and would I like to come and have lunch with her one day, I leapt at the chance. And that was the best decision I ever made in my life, because as we were having lunch, rather horrible food, in the BBC canteen, Tom sat down at our table. Tom's full name was Thomas Nigel Neal, with a K. He was a Manxman. He was then 29 years old. And while I was studying art at the Central, he had been studying acting at RADA. But he'd also written short stories. His first short, stories, his first short story was published when he was 20. And these stories had been collected in a volume called Tomato Cane, which had won the Somerset Morn Prize. Tom was fascinated by television, and he'd got himself a job there as a sort of dog's body scriptwriter. When I met him, they just stopped paying him out of the petty cash, and he got some sort of a contract. His work was mainly, I think, uh, to adapt stage plays for television, which usually meant something like, when it said in the program six months later, you wrote in daffodils. Then they knew a picture of daffodils. But he also had to do all sorts of everything, any, anything that needed doing. And uh, at that particular time, he was busy writing dialogue for some vegetable puppets which had been abandoned by the puppeteer, but which were going to be used for a children's program. And I think they were voiced largely by the carry-on team. And Tom, Tom himself uh, played the onion um, in the manner of Donald Wolfitt. The coronation in 1952 made an enormous difference to television. It suddenly became something that a lot of people had seen. There were a lot more sets, and the programs changed uh, in that they became more ambitious 
and there was far more um, original stuff, at least, you know, there was some original stuff, there hadn't been any before. Tom wrote a very good play based on a Chekhov short story, and in 1953, he was asked to write uh, a six-part serial. And he said, well, we've done all these drawing room dramas, why don't we do science fiction? And they said, all right. And so he wrote it, and it was called The Quatermass Experiment. I found his diary the other day. He wrote the first episode in a week. The second episode took him four days, and the third episode he wrote over the weekend. And after that it got more complicated because he had to go out with the very good director, Rudolf Cartier, uh, to film scenes to be inset later. The episodes were broadcast from very primitive studios in Alexandra Palace. The cameras were fixed to the floor so they couldn't move and they showed the pictures upside down and right to left. But the cameramen had got used to this. The story, the story was about a rocket being launched into space. Now this was eight years before anybody had actually managed to do this. It went up with three men and when it came down again, they'd been mysteriously merged into one and something else, alien, a thing. What happened then was set in the everyday London of that time as the alien in the form of some strange vegetation gradually took over and eventually invaded Westminster Abbey. <laughs> Tom says that when the unfortunate designer read that scene, he said, all right, you wrote it, you do it. <laughs> so Tom cut out a picture of Poet's Corner from a tourist guide to Westminster Abbey he had it hugely enlarged and stuck on a board and a little slit cut at the top. And then I sat for two days with my hands in wash leather gloves while he stuck things on them, twirly bits and wiggly bits and bits of wire and bits of leather and sort of leafy shapes, it was marvelous. And then, when the episode was broadcast, he stood behind the picture of Poet's Corner and stuck his fingers through the slit at the top. And at exactly the right moment, he very, very gently moved his fingers. And the entire nation was petrified. 
Quatermass emptied the pubs and the streets. It was a smash hit, the first huge smash hit in television history. At first, we didn't really understand what had happened. Uh, we went off on holiday to Italy, and when we came back, we found the BBC comparing offers from film companies. Unfortunately, they didn't consider that Tom was entitled to any of the money. But I don't think we really cared that much. Everybody wanted Tom to write for them. And we got married. I should have said before that after that meeting, after that meeting at the BBC, it was a weird thing really because I can't remember what we talked about at the time, but I remember he walked me back to the bus stop and next a few days later, we went to the, to, to the theater and we saw something absolutely awful. I think it was sort of tryout. And we were, it was so bad that we were rolling in the aisles. It was so funny. And then we had a Chinese meal. And then we went home to our various homes on the tube. And as we were going home, we both had the same thought, which was that we would probably get married. <laughs> so after this, after Quatermass, we were able to do this. Tom wrote a lot more scripts. He wrote two more Quatermasses. The last one, I think, was the best. He wrote an adaptation of 1984, that caused questions to be asked in the House of Commons. He wrote a play called The Year of the Six Olympics, which foresaw reality television 30 years before it actually happened. I think his last play went out just a few weeks before his 75th birthday. And we, in time, we had two children. I looked after them and made up stories for them, one of which, about a tiger, came in extremely useful a few years later <laughs> when I began to write and illustrate picture books. We worked at home, always, at the top of our house in Barnes. We talked about our work. Um, Tom was a terrific help to me. I mean, he always had very funny ideas, which I always used. Um, he thought of all my titles. He sometimes even wrote my blurbs. I don't think I was that much help to him, but I love to hear him tell the stories of the plays he was going to write. Um, and. 
if, if somebody rang up in the middle, I, I became terribly frustrated because I, I wanted to know what happened next. So, that was it. I mean, what can you say about a marriage that consists of two people sitting in adjoining rooms for 40 odd years making marks on bits of paper? <laughs> of course, we did other things. Uh, we traveled, uh, we saw friends, I saw, we saw our son win the Whitbread and our daughter create a rat for Harry Potter. <laughs> but it was always back to the two rooms and the next bit of work. As we got old, we didn't get about so much. Gosh, oh dear, um, well we didn't get about so much and um, we, uh, we talked to each other, we didn't see anyone else much and we talked to each other, but when Tom died six years ago, we still hadn't run out of things to talk about. And I've, we were together 54 years, and I've forgotten the name of that woman who invited me to lunch that time at the BBC. <laughs> but I'm just so very glad that she did. <laughs> and now I'm going to rush through and very quickly show you my last book. It's called My Henry. It is relevant, but it's not about Tom and me. There we are. They think I'm sitting in this chair, just waiting for my tea. In fact, I'm flying through the air with Henry holding me. My Henry died and went to heaven, but now he's got his wings, they let him out from four till seven, <laughs> and we do all sorts of things. In life, my Henry was not fond of dangerous sports and stunts, but now he's in the great beyond, he does like lion huts. <laughs> it's things we've never tried before that are the greatest fun, like riding on a dinosaur, which I had never done. And sometimes we have jungle feasts high up among the treetops with heavenly treats for all the beasts and self-fulfilling teapots. They think I'm having 40 winks, but little do they know that I am chatting with the Sphinx who's asked us out for Sunday drinks with several friends in tow. And as I have no head for heights, they hardly can have guessed that one of our supreme delights is climbing Everest. At night, we like to water ski and greet the sun at dawn. We play, oh, oh you stepped one. <laughs> we play with mermaids in the sea and know a unicorn. 
but sometimes we prefer to give the world a miss because we picture how we used to live and think how nice it was. See you tomorrow afternoon. I will be waiting here. Perhaps we'll picnic on the moon. Two sugars. Thank you, dear.